This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. So Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's to stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on, on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on the I, same I, side. No, not at all. And, and, and look how nice we are to each other. Yeah. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. Yeah. It's like you know what. What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be lion sheep. We're supposed to be Koreans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Conversations with Jeff. We're back. We're kind of having a string of round twos with bringing back uh, some of previous guests. But this week, we got Schumann back. And, uh, you know, as you know, he's all, he's a contributor over at The Gatekeepers. And uh, welcome back. I'm glad we could sit down and have, have another chat. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be back. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, I, I feel like I feel like one, one of the cool things that we've kind of built with the GK kind of group is that we're all we're all kind of coming from slightly different perspectives, even though we all agree on the on the major issues and that sort of thing. But I feel like it's been it's been nice and it's been fun to kind of have somewhat of like camaraderie with you and Dustin and Paige and Sam and just kind of the whole crowd, even though on certain issues we kind of come at it from different perspectives. Right, absolutely. I think it's a, a very important to have uh, a diverse view as how people take certain things, uh, a con- or uh, I guess furthering that conversation to develop different ideologies um, between each other. And if you end up surrounding yourself with a bunch of yes men, you'll never get anywhere for the most part. If we always agreed with everything that each other had to say, then um, there would be no point to talking to one another. We're just reinforcing our own belief system. Yeah, and, and, I, and I feel like to a certain degree we've got that within – the secular world, but we've especially got that within Christianity and within the church too, because I feel like everybody is like splintered off into their own little theological camps. And then like I always say, and then they just yell at somebody in another camp and then they come back and give each other high fives. And that's basically what we see everywhere, you know? Yeah. It's uh Oh man. Twitter's an animal, man. I haven't <laughs> been on Twitter that long. I mean, since I got on here, but it seems like as soon as you start to disagree with someone, then it's, hurling insults or people jump to their teams and they're immediately defending. They would rather not discuss the topic. They would rather discuss how you said something or, um, well, 
that didn't or that sounded more rude you could have said it a different way yeah i said what i said i meant what i said i don't care how you take it i mean uh i would rather discuss the issue rather than having everybody beat each other with clubs so yeah that's a good way to put it and you know it's it's been kind of fun following you on on twitter and just kind of seeing your interactions and that sort of thing i mean it's almost <laughs> kind of pure entertainment in and of itself <laughs> yeah uh i have a problem i mean uh playing sports and some of that stuff i always enjoyed being the away team yeah i like that little bit of criticism i feed off of it um i just yeah i i like to put people in their place when they need to be put back in their place and it's it is it's entertainment for me to a point as well and at the same point it's not that if that person no longer wants to have a conversation fine so be it you want to play in the mud let's get down and dirty i don't care I mean, that's the whole atmosphere I was raised in. I, you know, grew up in the oil patch. Somebody had something to say that was on their mind. Somebody said it. They didn't care about how you felt about it. And they weren't able to take offense to it like I see you on Twitter, too, which is just, it's just phenomenal. Uh, some of the guys that, you know, we had a disagreement, we fought, a few punches were thrown, and then the next day, you're grabbing supper with that same guy. Right. Just get it out off your chest. Then it's over. It's done. And that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, things are going to get heated. But at the end of the day, realizing that we are still all brothers and, you know, in Christ and all that good stuff, or even in our society, we need to have the basic understanding that the other person on the other side of the screen is still a human being. And to when you start viewing them as less than that, I think is what becomes a big issue in um, social media as well as the polarization of political identity and the theological identity within the church. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what do you what do you say to people like when when they when they're coming to you and they're like, okay, that was way too harsh. Like Christians shouldn't be so harsh or direct or, in their words, mean. Like, what, what what's your response or what what's your take on that on that sort of thing? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it is what I am. I am I'm known to be a little bit of a brash person. I know that I, something that I could definitely work on is being a little more uh, soft, say <laughs> things a little bit more nice and stuff like that. But that's just not who I am. And a lot of times I think a lot of that has been uh, the dumbing down and the softness of stuff. I think people lose a specific set of like meaning that is put behind that, um, what is being said. And uh, I feel that if you don't say something loud enough or harsh enough, nobody's going to take it to heart. But I also get the point that uh, if you scream something too loud or become obnoxious about it, nobody's going to listen to you about it anyway. So you got to find that happy medium. Um, I try not to jump into that unless or jump all the way down into that unless I see it being portrayed as being completely out of the realm of what is being discussed. Um, You know, talking about an issue about Israel with somebody and then all of a sudden being labeled as an all-writer. Yeah, okay. Let's see where that logic goes. So, yeah, I'm going to be a jerk. I'm, I accept that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is what it is. And at that same point, that I feel that the civility of that conversation has been lost. There is no – nobody's willing to have a uh, conversation at that point or rather – want to be throwing insults and see how much mud you can huck on the other person at that point. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a learning process for me, for sure. Definitely. I think there's times where I should definitely just be like, you know what, you have your ideas, go for it. You know, I'm (laughs) out. 
Yeah. But I got better things to do, you know, definitely. But at the same point in time, I, I really enjoy a lot of the conversations I've had. I've met a lot of really awesome people that I do disagree with, but I feel that the conversation, though I may not convince them, it's allowed that um, my theological perspective on things to be placed out there mm-hmm. so that when people see both sides of the coin, not only do they see my logical side, and a lot of times when that person is being civil, they can see their logical side as to where they're coming from as well. And I think that's really important. I'm not asking anybody to agree with me. I think that when it comes to that, you lose your focus. If I try so hard to convince you to agree with me, then I'm not doing anybody a service because you, I'm sure, would have those same feelings about what you believe in. Rather, it's for that bystander, that third person that's out there that's viewing in and seeing everything that's happening who hasn't come to a conclusion and who can see both sides of the story and able to come out to that. When you get into the mudslinging, that's not promulgating any sort of conversation, nor is it pushing toward any theological advancement. So that's that's kind of where I take it, although... Like I said, it is pretty entertaining. Yeah, it it, it is. I mean, I mean, some, some of your comebacks are just like pure, just entertainment, right? Just all by themselves. So. My wife likes it too. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, you know, because what what's kind of interesting is, and in, you know, that you're kind of touching on a little bit, but it has been kind of my complaint to a certain degree with the whole. I mean, I guess I'd say most theological issues, but let's even take like the social justice movement. Is I feel like what's happened is there hasn't actually been any actual conversation going on you've got the pro social justice guys that are on one side way over off in the distance and they're all huddling together and then talking trash about the people that are against them and then you've got the people who signed the social justice statement on the other side and then they're talking trash about tabidi and mark dever and al moeller and all that kind of stuff over here and i feel like both sides to a certain degree they're kind of misrepresenting each other constantly i mean like how, how do we even handle that so the big thing when I noticed that is when I posted uh, the social justice proclamation um, that was released by Phil Johnson and a few others from my camp, I thought it was really well written in a lot of areas. There were a few things that I disagreed on, but for the most part, I posted it. Um, I pushed a little bit for it. I thought it was a really good statement. The statement in itself, okay, not any exterior coming in as the statement itself, um, but when I did that, and when I mentioned, though there are a few things I agree disagree with, it was a jump up. Well, what is it that you disagree with? <laughs> well, I mean that's besides the point. That's you know that's small little parts of it. For the most part, I thought it was great, and I thought it was very well written. But everybody's so uh, defensive of the smallest um, criticism. They take that and they want to magnify that small portion. And blow it up into something big because they want to undermine what it is you were officially were stating. And I think that's the problem with having a lot of the conversation is we take that um, and turning it or devolving it into argumentation is that we are taking that small part we disagree on as minute as it may be. You're taking it and you're blowing it up and disproportionating it and making the whole conversation about that small little part. And now, granted, if the conversation started in that small little part, then yeah, have a conversation about that. Disagree about that thing. But don't let it default from the original subject matter of what was being discussed. Um, My big complaint about Twitter is I think you get into a really great conversation with someone. You know, like, 
just as if I were to go out to coffee with somebody that I disagree with and have a conversation with them. And then some guy at the table next to me comes over and he's like, well, you're an idiot. I don't agree with that. And then other people come from, from other tables and all of a sudden it's like, dude, I came here with this person, you know, yeah. the same thing kind of happens on Twitter. You can have a conversation with somebody that is very uh, effective and fruitful and you're actually discussing different ideologies. And then you get a couple of people that just decide, oh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to start slinging mud and devolve this conversation. It's like sometimes I wish you could uh, publish those conversations that you had with other people without the interaction of a couple of jerks who all they want to do is uh, call names and sling mud. Or, oh, man, my biggest pet peeve is, uh, well, you should discuss this. Well, I did like four times. Like, I'm not (laughs) repeating myself. I'm a lazy guy. You know, I'm not I'm not going to type out the same thing I did four times before. You know, it's just it's a devolvation of that subject because I don't believe they want to go any deeper than that. That's why I think when it goes, well, you're not answering my question. No, I answered your question. You're just too afraid to accept that as my answer. Mm hmm. And uh, I think that's a big issue. And granted, I'm sure I do that too. You know, I'm not singling anybody out. I know I can be guilty of that as well. Yeah, well, I think I just feel like to a certain degree, that's just kind of the natural progression of, especially Twitter, I'd say even more than other social media platforms, but especially Twitter. And I think because you can have so many people chiming in on the same conversation, and then all the threads just kind of splinter off, and you're having like 50 million conversations at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When I first hopped on, I was like, I have no idea what any of this means. And I was trying to read it, you know, like a book, top to bottom (laughs) on everything. And then all of a sudden, everything got kind of thrown in between. And I was like, I don't understand this at all. What is going on? And uh, but you eventually kind of get the hang of it. But then you'll have a conversation with somebody and then you'll have like other threads spin off of that, like a spider web. And then you forget kind of where, what area you're replying to. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a lot more straightforward. That's why I really enjoy the messaging feature on that. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a straight up conversation with only that person, feel free to take screenshots or anything and post it. It's definitely for the public, but I like the privacy of that aspect. Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like it's if, if, there, if there was a feature that if Twitter's listening – by the way, add this feature where you where you you can make it to where only the two people that are involved in the conversation are actually a part yep. of the conversation. <laughs> or even if you could uh, highlight that person in some sort of way so that they came to the top of the response list or something like that. Also, edit button. <clears throat> Just yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. There's, I mean, there, there's so <laughs> many different options we could throw in there. <laughs> we might as well just build our own social media platform. But it is great. I mean. With all the negativity and stuff, I have met some incredible people, people that I don't always agree with at all, and it's it has been a huge blessing. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well. What, so, what what are some what are some of the things that you feel like you've learned since kind of like jumping into this whole scene with social media and blogging and that whole that whole scene? People are more so idiots than what they are angry. <laughs> I think it's the biggest thing. I think it's uh, trying to uh, – a lot of people are just dumb. And I mean that – no, I don't mean that with respect. It's oh, just, I, I was, I was going to say you mean that lovingly, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. That yeah, kind of. Um, it's just that they fail – they're so willing to jump to their own side of the political or theological aisle that they aren't willing to actually pull apart and do the research on it. Um, I know when the Green New Deal came out, 
it was crazy. And all the publicity it was getting was just nuts. And I was like, all right, this, there's no way it can be this crazy. So I took it apart and I read it for myself. And yeah, it was crazy. But for the most part, when a lot of this stuff comes online, people need to read into subjects rather than just going off of what they see on social media platforms. Read a book. Yep. One, just a book and educate yourself further than what you, you know, your preconceived notions are. Um, like, uh, I think a lot of that comes up with people talking about the switch from the democratic party to the Republican party back in the, um, the time during the, the slavery and mm -hmm. all that stuff or the Martin Luther King movement and stuff like that. Some people claim that there was a political switch of the democratic and Republican party. It's like, if you would actually read into any history, you would know that that's just a blasphemous lie that the left has promulgated to try to make themselves look better and appeal to the uh, minority base, which is just ridiculous. But people see these things on internet and they assume that they're true. And I think a lot of times when you get into fighting, a lot of people not fighting or arguing, uh, people think that everybody's so mad at one another for this. And that shouldn't be the case. I mean, a lot of this couldn't be attributed to ignorance. I mean, you should never attribute to malice what you can attribute to ignorance. And I think a lot of people are just simply uneducated in the subject or haven't read up on it. And they're just spouting off what they've heard other people say and they haven't done the research for it themselves. Um, see this in theology as well. I mean, it's, it's all over. I think the political sphere and the theological sphere within the church um, reflect each other very, uh, very perfectly mm -hmm. so, and how people act and how people jump to sides of things. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really weird because I feel like everybody just looks at headlines and they just look at titles and then they mm -hmm. base their entire belief system off of that. So like, for example, um, when I had Andy Woods on this last time and I intentionally wrote the, uh, the title to the podcast, uh, is Lordship Salvation gospel truth or is it essentially heresy? You know, cause, cause it's, it's posing the question. But then right. all of a sudden I get I get people that are like, wait, you're you're saying that Lordship Salvation is heresy? And I'm like, no, did you not watch the podcast? It's a question nope. that's being posed and then we're going to answer it during the podcast. Or I, there was another time I had some other article and I and they based their entire assumption on just on the title. And I'm like, did you take three, 30 seconds to read my article before critiquing? They're like, no. I'm like, so why are we here? You know, yeah. like like with the whole interfaith dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. But with the whole interfaith dialogue thing, when I was uh, when I was being critical of James White, I took the time. I watched the four hours of the interfaith dialogue before I even ever commented on it because I wanted to know what are they saying, what's going on, what's the context, all that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, nobody wants to do their homework and they just want to jump to conclusions. And I think a lot of that um, can be blamed on media today. Uh I think the Obama era really destroyed the media because um, a lot of those, they'll use a lot of those uh, catchy headlines, but then down in paragraph eight on page two, it's like, by the way, we're lying. You know, like the whole thing with, I remember Nikki Haley's drapes in her office when that was going on and everybody was all up in arms. Well, then when you read the article that was published by the, I believe it was the Washington Post, about halfway down the article, it stated that these uh, drapes 
can't believe there wasn't an article. <laughs> These drapes were purchased by the Obama administration, and she simply inherited the office. Right. So, like, yet you're going to pose something about how she spent millions of dollars on these drapes, you know, in your headline. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then that's disgusting because that leads to a false narrative. But, yep, I I think uh, if people took the time to actually read what was going on, not jump into conclusions. um, And that, and uh, so with going to seminary courses and stuff like that, I take a course in something, right? So... Just for example's sake, I'll take a course in the free grace era, but then I also took a course in the lordship. And then, you know, I didn't, I'm going to take a course in Roman Catholicism just because I want to understand all the different uh, perspectives. And then I make my judgment upon what I believe. And I think the fact that people are unwilling to look at the other side and simply just deem it, well, that's heresy because that's not what I taught when I grew up. That's not what mom and dad told me. It's like, oh, well, guess what? Mom and dad was wrong. You know, it's just stupid. And being, you got to get out of your own shell. You got to be your own person, be able to make your own. It's just laziness is what it is when you're just willing to take, oh, well, so-and-so said it. So it must be true. And I'm not going to do anything. And I think that's um, a big issue with a lot of the congregation inside churches. They see the pastor up there. He says this thing, and people are like, yeah, that's great. You know, like, that must be what the Bible says. And then they leave their Bible on the coffee table till next Sunday, and they don't even you know, want to look up or do any research on what was being said during that sermon. Yep. Well, you know, and the thing is, like, the Bible talks about this. It's yeah. that, it's that passage about the Bereans, and you take what Paul says, and then you come back and you compare it with Scripture, and it's like, it's exemplified for us, and nobody does it. Yep. Yeah, so. and it's repeated over and over again. Like, do your homework. And, I mean, yes, uh, I know uh, theologically, but even, like, when uh, like bill, certain bills and stuff are released, or I remember when, uh, oh, way back when Trump put his Muslim ban on mm-hmm. and stuff like that, people just took it as a Muslim ban. He's banning all the Muslims. No, that's not what it was at all. He was banning countries, you know, and many of them, yeah, it had Muslim heritage, but some of them didn't. Yep. You know, it was, uh, these were places that were bad. It wasn't all Muslim countries. People want to jump to the worst conclusion ever and then speculate off that without actually looking into what a proposal or a bill might entail. Mm-hmm. And uh, that drives me nuts, and I think that can lead to extremely dangerous policies for future generations, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in, in living out here in California, I know talking to people out here is that, you know, obviously we have a very, very large Mexican community out here. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of people after, you know, after Trump was talking, you know, not after he was, he still is, but talking about the border wall and immigration and all that and de- deportations and that whole thing. Um, there's a lot of people that were actually U.S. citizens, but were still Mexican. They're like, I'm I'm afraid because I feel like that he's going to deport me and send me back to Mexico. And I'm like, but you were born here. You are a yeah. citizen. But but it's like they just keep hearing these headlines and headlines, and then people are actually changing their belief system based off of the headlines. It's yep. just insane. And yeah, it's just absolutely disgusting what the media is doing in portraying light like that. Um, it is uh, it's misleading and it's polarizing the nation. 
we are all Americans. You know, whether you vote Democrat or Republican, we are all Americans. We all have to come together. And I think um, the big lack of that is my generation went through September 11th. The younger generation has yet to experience a big tragedy. And it's those times that bring us all together. I mean, I remember when that happened and, oh, I disagree with him on a lot of his policies when George W. Bush came to where I was living at the time and all of us, the whole town showed up in this little arena and we all came together for that one moment for one purpose to remember one thing. And that was a huge moment for us as American people. And that's the last time I really remember America coming together like that. And it's so, and I blame the Obama administration for polarizing the country so much against itself that we can no longer have a civil conversation and discuss issues. Um, recently, Andrew Yang sat down with Ben Shapiro, who is a blatant conservative, and uh, Andrew Yang is running on the Democratic ticket for a for presidency. And the conversation that those two had should be the conversation that should be inside the chambers of our House of Representatives, inside the Senate, inside the Capitol, all of that good stuff. And uh, it's just... It's uh, it's really sad to see that we as a nation have come to just wanting to dehumanize each other. Yeah, well, it, it it really comes it really comes just back to tribalism. It's like if you're yeah. not if you're not in my little group, then you're not worth having a conversation for. So it's almost like it's almost like you have to agree with me before we can have the conversation. <laughs> it yeah, just, it just makes no sense. Right. It is. Oh, it's. And that's so dangerous because a lot of the good policies that are made are through disagreement and being able to compromise on certain aspects to move forward because then you can move forward together as a country. It's not just a certain party overruling another party. A lot of people, you know, well, nothing ever gets done in government. It's for me. Good. I don't want anything done in government yeah. because I know if things are able to happen at a quicker uh, pace of time, then as soon as the guy gets in that I don't like, it's going to go downhill so fast. Where if you make things real hard to pass and real hard to get through, nothing's going to get done. And you can leave me alone. That's all I want. You know, and uh, I think the harder it is for people to pass legislation, the better it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it, But I also feel, too, is that the harder it is to pass the legislation, the more we're actually going to have to communicate with each other. Because we're going to actually have to have the debates because if we want to get this bill passed, we actually have to convince the other side to go along with it. And that that's what I feel like we're missing is everybody just wants Congress, do something, do something, do something. It's like, why don't we just talk about it? <laughs> yeah, that's where it drives me absolutely up a wall about like executive orders or, uh, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. No, you're not a king. Yeah. That's not how it's <laughs> supposed to work. You know, uh, I think a lot of the stuff Obama did it, Trump did it, Bush did it. They all, you know, they all did it. But I think that executive order crap has just got to go. And I'm gr- glad that it doesn't have very much. They can be repealed as fast as they're thrown in for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy for that because it's, uh, I think that leads to very tyrannical behavior. Um, 
within our nation, and that's not how it was intended to run. So that's uh, kind of my take on that anyway. I, the, the longer it takes for government to get stuff done, the better it is, and the less they have control over things. I think we attribute, we treat the government as, as God or as a caregiver, as a father, and that's not what the government was meant to do. It was meant to allow other people from harming your verge to success, and yet government has in place all these regulations to make it harder for you to succeed. So, yeah, and I, and I think and I think that that's kind of the 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 crazy part about what's happening within Christianity with this whole social justice stuff is that these progressive big government ideas are now coming into the church and not only just coming into the church, but it's now having like theological pushes behind these social justice issues, whether it's caring for the poor or the illegal immigrant or whatever it is. But I feel like that's why this whole social justice thing within the church is so dangerous. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that sort of thing? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think the church is soft. I think the church isn't nothing what it was supposed to be. Um, back then, I think pastors are more worried about filling pews than what they are about filling people's hearts. Well, we don't want to talk about that because, oh man, some people might be offended and then the operating plate goes down or, you know, so-and-so's daughter is a lesbian. So we can't touch that topic because then, well, he pays 40% of the offering. Well, then when we lose him, then we can't have this nice steeple. Well, it was never about that. That's not what it was meant to be. You were meant to guide the community, and you, you as the church, have failed. Um, I got into a wonderful discussion with a gal on Twitter in regard during the government shutdown about, um, about that whole topic, and I was very much so on the, you know, government should have any place in that. Those people, yeah, it sucks to be you, but... You work for the government. Should have seen it coming. I mean, it's kind of baked into the cake. Like, I know every day I could be laid off from my job. You know, it's, it's taking responsibility of yourself. And the same thing, and so that leads to, well, then who's going to pay for all these people? Well, that's where well, the church should step in and take care of its community that it's there for. The, uh, the church, following biblical passages and uh, everything like that, has the guidebook to set everyone off to the path of success. The church needs to stand its ground in what the Bible says and lead those people so that they can, in turn, be contributors to society and hopefully, in turn, the church. It's the church's responsibility to be the foundation of that small town. And, we, you know, back in the days, way back when people were still on horses, we saw that. Everything revolves around the church. And now, there's, there's no way. There's no way. The church is way too focused on itself and on pleasing people than what it is on actually being a part of society. And I am a firm believer that the church is the reason, or the lack of churches being churches, is the reason why our society is the way it is. So, yeah, it's, I think the social justice stuff that is creeping into the churches, nobody wants to view it as a problem because, well, there's no way there can be a problem in my church. My church would never do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You your church is doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's time to wake up. It's, the guy who's up there preaching ain't no different than you. It's just another guy. The only difference is he stands while you sit while he spews. That's the only difference. And uh, like I said, it goes back to laziness. If you're unwilling to check him, <laughs> you're lazy and you deserve to live in the world that you created. So mm -hmm. go for it. 
Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it applies to politics, and I think it applies to the church as well. You know, we chosen the outcome by the people that we put into their places, and we deserve to get it good and hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very true. I mean, when you think about it, it's like even, you know, that's very clear when it comes to politics, but even even when it comes to the church, it's like we're buying the books from like a handful of guys. It's like mm -hmm. there's like maybe – eight to 10, 12, 15 guys that are like the big mega, mega, mega guys that are going to be at every single conference. Everybody buys their book. And it's like, then if they say one thing wrong, they've, they've led the entire church off going extreme far left. And and we're seeing yep. that with the gospel coalition. We're seeing that with Lincoln Duncan. And I don't, I don't know if you saw the shepherd's conference Q and a, um, that happened, but Lincoln Duncan was up there on stage and it seemed like his answers, it was almost like he was so scared of pushing away the millennials mm -hmm. that it's like, well, we have to embrace the social justice stuff or else the, the millennials are going to go away. And it's like, why do we have to compromise? Why can't we just instead proclaim the truth and then convince them with our argumentation to come over to our side? Yep. You know, uh, I might get some flack for this, but uh, I did not. First off, I, I would like to say I did not see the Shepherds Conference. You are fired. I know. That's all right. Just kidding. See, I'll see myself out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, um, more so because I'm I'm more involved with uh, politics and stuff like that, right. and I don't have very much free time. So, but anyhow, um, what was I going with the uh, millennials and? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> it's there's not much up there. It rattles around a little bit. Uh so when I might get a little flack for this, but I really blame the baby boomer generation for the millennials and the people before um, growing up through when I went to church, um, my youth group was all about, yeah, you got to have pizza parties. We're going to go have an outing or a camp site, or we're going to go see these bands with these speakers and they're charismatic and they're just happy and they're really good speakers. Okay. But there was no substance. Everything that we talked about, didn't really revolve around the Bible or the scriptures or how they were taken. It was about how, you know, your life or going through high school or trying to find that girl. Well, the girl you find in high school probably ain't going to be the girl that you're going to marry. I mean, it does happen, but right. chances are, I mean, I was stupid in high school, so <laughs> not too much has changed. But it's, um, you get more mature as you go on. But I think the baby boomer generation throwing in all those pizzas, trying to make church more of an e event than what it was an actual learning moment has destroyed our uh, millennial generation. And we do, we as millennials do have a responsibility to pick that back up. But as we view the spectrum of younger generation below us, um, we see that a lot of them are showing up in, now I'm, granted I'm not uh, saying that this is okay by any means, but they're searching for a more foundational teaching we see younger generations are showing up in more of the old school Roman Catholic churches. I would much rather them show up in biblical, biblically based churches, but they're looking for actual teaching, actual leadership, and they're finding it in the old school Orthodox, you know, kind of Roman Catholic church. Also, we're seeing it in the Orthodox Jewish synagogues. Kids younger than me around, I think it's between 18 and 22, are showing up in these Jewish synagogues because they want actual teaching. They want actual substance. They could care less about the pizza and the concerts. They want to do pizzas and concerts. They just go to concerts. It's it's stupid that the church was made into an entertainment industry 
when that is not what it was intended to be, and it has destroyed the younger generation. It 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 really it really has, and I think and I think I think part of it too is that and again I. It's really weird because I'm technically a millennial, but I never identify as one because I never feel like one. Um, but I feel like, for me, I it's almost like I feel like the older generations never wanted to give us answers. It was always yep. stop asking questions, just do what you're told, and then just go along with it. And mm-hmm. I think I think the thing is is that why a lot of people are turning to Roman Catholic, Roman Catholicism, and Orthodox uh, the Jewish faith and that sort of thing is because. They're actually giving people answers. They may be wrong, but they're actually getting answers. They're actually answering the questions. I remember I, uh, when I was a worship leader, there was one kid that I was, um, you know, trying to talk to quite often, that sort of thing. After I ended up leaving that church, he ended up, you know, walking away from the faith because he would go to the pastor and ask the pastor questions. And then the pastor would say, don't ask those questions. Just trust God. And it's like, come on. And I feel, and I feel yep. like to a certain degree, that's kind of been the main failure of the church is that they're not giving people in general, but especially our age, answers. They're just trying to fill the pews and give you an entertaining Sunday morning jam session. Yep, absolutely. I know uh, the church growing up too; they didn't want to talk about eschatology or you know things that would happen. I'm a premillennialist, mm-hmm. so I mean, uh, it was uh, very tough to getting that stuff really interested me i loved revelation and stuff like that and what it meant and everybody nobody wanted to give me answers to anything that and uh i grew up very much so on the lordship salvation sort of things that once you were saved you were supposed to act a certain way and supposed to follow a certain way to prove that you believed in um in christ or whatever that you would and do all that stuff but then when i asked all the tough questions nobody gave me any answers on it And uh, I think that was really kind of set me off to that's kind of the main reason why I ended up going to seminary was to find those answers. And I read, you know, a lot of John MacArthur's stuff during that time. Um, Oh, starts with according to the apostles, the gospel according to the apostles. Yeah. Gospel according to Christ. Yes. You know, stuff like that. And it was, wow. That sounds really bad. <laughs> I can't remember the titles, but it's been a while. Yeah. And uh, um, then challenging that with um, other ideologies and other views, you know, from hyper grace to free grace and other stuff like that. But it was wasn't because I was rebelling against anything. It's because I never had any answers growing up, and everybody was too afraid or nothing made sense to me, and uh, that. So there was that aspect, and then the other aspect was, uh, and it drives me nuts now, when people say, well, why do bad things happen? And when I answered, when I asked that, like, my high school and college was pretty rough. So, uh, you know, I, well, why would God allow this to happen? Like, I'm a Christian, I believe, why would this ever happen? Well, then nobody would give me an answer. It'd be like, oh, it's all part of God's plan. Yeah. Okay. What am I going to do with that? Yeah. You know, like, that's... That's garbage because I don't know as for myself, I feel that the church should be teaching you're a man, you're a woman, you're an adult, take charge of your life, make, you know, pray about the decisions that you make, but control your life. You were granted with free will to make your own decisions that lead whether to your success or lead to your demise. Fuck up and take responsibility. 
And I think, you know, if I would have heard that or, you know, something along those lines and then, you know, a scripture to back that up as in the, you know, from viewing other people and how they lived, I mean, Paul did not have a good time, mm-hmm. but he took charge of the instances that he was put in. He made the best of the situations he was in. All the apostles did. A lot of these people in scripture were treated like absolute trash. But the moments that they were in, they took charge of those moments and they were able to um, make the best out of them. They decided the outcome as to how they were going to contribute to that. And we, we need to understand that we live in a sinful world. This is not our home. We're just passing through. This is the race. Are you going to finish it or are you going to walk, you know, drag your feet behind? Why do I have to be here? <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's sad. I think a, a lot of that has been lost in how um, in how we were brought up in the church family, as well as our own individual families. I was granted to at least have it. Um, my parents were very great. My father was quite a man, you know. Uh, yeah. P.S. Twice, you better be running. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like what's interesting is like kind of ta- thinking through all this is that. You know, because, you know, I'm I end up falling on the, you know, Calvinist side theologically, theologically, which puts a very heavy, heavy influence or heavy push on God's sovereignty and that God's in control and that sort of thing. But one of the things that I've noticed about my camp and my side is that 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 tends to take away a lot of people's motivation to a certain degree. And because what people end up doing is they say, well, I prayed about it. Now God's going to work. And I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to wait for God to do something. But then when you look at the New Testament and you look at the apostles, like they didn't stop doing stuff. They, they, they went. You look at the people that led the Reformation. You look at Martin Luther. I mean, he didn't just he didn't just pray and then sit on the couch and, you know, wait for God to work like he totally pissed off a lot of people, (laughs) you know, exactly. he like he, he took control and I, I feel like so that's even me being critical of how I was raised and, you know, what the influence over me is that it's like like you were saying, like, take responsibility. You see a problem. Do something about it. It's yep. quite yep. simple. Uh, funny story. Uh, you know, God, God gives you opportunities. He doesn't give you outcomes. He gives you opportunities to achieve the outcome. What you do with it is up to you. And uh my wife, I love her to death. She, uh, she's like, I really need to pray for patience. And I was like, all right. So we pray for patience. And she's like, oh man, she, she uh, vehicle fuel line froze up, you know, one day. And then she just got it going again. And then the bell went out, like literally half a mile away from where her fuel line froze up. And then that went out and then she parked her vehicle and her tires, she came back out from work and her tire was flat. And uh, she's like, I don't understand what's going on. And I was like, Ashley, pray for patience. Just be patient. Let yep. it be. You know, try to <laughs> calm down, deal with it. She's like, I'm not doing that ever again. I just <laughs> but and that's the thing. It's how you handle that situation, whether you're able to push through it, you know, uh, stay calm through all those tough trials, I think, is what helps build you are as an individual. Yeah, 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 and and I, th- and I think just you know, like, like you like you always say as well, but just take responsibility, you know, fi- fix your fix your problem. Like the thing is, is that yes, God's in control, and that that should be comforting to us. 
But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we just sit around and just, you know, I'm praying for a job. I'm not going to, you know, send out my resume, but God's going to work and he's going to get me that job. (laughs) Yeah. And I, that's what I, uh, oh man, that drives me nuts about, so, you know, I'm going at politics through a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, as a Christian, what are you doing in politics? That's not your realm. You know, like you shouldn't be focused on politics. God's in control. He's got it covered. No, that's, yeah, he's in control of stuff. But that does not give me the excuse to sit by, idly by, and watch it all burn in flames. I'm here to do my part. Part of God being in control is putting me in those situations to which I can have an effective outcome to address the political atmosphere in today's world. I'm going to take advantage of it. It's, it's pure laziness. And that's, you know, again, it's the church. Church decided, well, you know, God's in control of politics. Everything will be fine. So we'll just back away from all that stuff, wash my hands clean. No, that's not what you were intended to do. And because the church has backed away from how this country that was based on Christian Judeo belief systems is falling apart. You want the essence of the thing without the foundation of the thing. Without the foundation, the rest of it begins to crumble. You can no longer have what this nation was built on because it has no foundation at all. And that is what is eroding our uh, culture today and has been eroding it for years. And uh, that's why I'm so fervent in politics and coming out of them through a biblical foundational approach as to how things should be run in today's society. Granted, I don't think that we should be a theocratic government that is going too far, but there are basic fundamental rights that need to be instilled as the foundation of our nation. Yeah, you know, and and for me, I feel like I I end up finding myself where not a whole lot of people agree with me politically, which is make, makes things makes conversations interesting. Um, yeah, well, because <laughs> well, because what what ends up ha- what ends up happening is because I end up being very libertarian when it comes to politics, and then uh, but I'm also very hardcore literal biblical truth Bible stands, you know that whole that whole side of things, and so people always you know turn to me and they're like well why why aren't you fighting for all these like moral issues for within like christianity and stuff and trying to get the government to enforce it i'm just like but we have freedom like just because just because something's morally right or wrong doesn't mean that it should be legal or, or illegal and i always use the i always use the example of we all agree that disobeying your parents is a sin but i don't want the government to punish children for disobeying their parents, yep. you know, and so that, that's kind of my perspective. And I end up get I get a lot of crap for that. But <laughs> so and I kind of fall along the same sphere of things like the whole homosexual thing. Like, yeah, you know, like I probably align with more of the people fighting for the homosexual things for marriage because it's not that I agree with them religiously. I don't. What I do think is I don't think government had any place in marriage to begin with at all. Marriage was not meant to be a governmental system. It was based in faith. If they want to go be together, you know, two guys want to be together forever, they can do whatever they want. It has no effect on me because it's not my religious view of marriage. Government can do, you know, when government steps in and claims that now they have authority over what a thing is, no, that's that's wrong. And I, you know, same thing with uh, kind of pretty leaning in towards weed. And that kind of stuff. I mean, I, as 
long as somebody's fist doesn't smoke my face, <laughs> I don't care what you do. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, and what's interesting, and I'm probably gonna say something that's gonna be quite controversial, which weird with with, with me controversial. Yeah. Um, so w- when I, I when I lived in Arizona in college, uh, they were trying to pass um, a state constitutional amendment to make marriage between man and a woman, and mm-hmm. um, again, I got a lot of flack because I didn't vote for it because I felt like the, why why is the government even involved in marriage? Like to yep. like in my personal opinion, I feel like government should be, not be involved in marriage at all, and it should just be a religious ceremony and a religious commitment between me, my wife, and God, and then we should be able to make contracts and wills and agreements with whoever it is that we want. I feel like mm-hmm. that's very libertarian of me. Doesn't make me very popular, <laughs> but um, but you know, like that's that's kind of that's my thing, and so. I feel like for me, I would rather fight for freedom and then allow you to make your choice. And exactly. with it, but within Christianity, for whatever reason, that's not a very popular perspective to hold. No, it's not. But if you take people's voice or if you take people's choice away and they're forced to believe a certain way, then are they really believing it or are they just doing it because the government told them to? That's where free will is and the abilities of having that freedom in America to make your own choice is um, so important to our societal fabric. You take away that choice and people are forced to live a certain way or act a certain way, then there's no heart. There's no meaning behind it. It's just the robotics of going through life. Yeah. And uh, I think that can be demoralizing as well. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, I think the other side of it too, is that I feel like because the church has gotten so, at least historically, it's gotten so hardcore in trying to uh, in, enforce our morals through the government. I feel like it's given us a bad reputation, and I feel like it's kind of it's hindered our ability to preach the gospel because in, because instead of us going out and preaching, this is sin, you need mm-hmm. to repent and come to Christ. Now we're trying to essentially the way pe- the world perceives us is we're trying to ban you. Yep. You know, and, and I and I feel like I, w- I would rather take the approach of, yes, they're sinning. I totally agree that they're sinning, but they have the choice to rebel against God or not rebel against God. Yep. You need to, uh, there needs to be sort of a separation between the political sphere and the religious sphere. The religious sphere is that foundation, okay? It's what the building blocks to everything is and how it's all run because we as a moral people, when the church was the foundation of those towns or those cities. They set a standard, right? The government was there to make sure that everybody could just live their own life and that everybody had as much freedom as possible. That was it. Your morality was judged off the church. The political, or the government, was based off of your freedom to act the way you want. Just because you can, and that's what drives me out nuts. So with just taking weed as an example. So, like, religiously, I wouldn't do it because it alters my mind, all that kind of stuff, right? I don't think it's right biblically. Now, politically, I could clear less because people need to have that right. Now, it's against the law. So does that make it bad? Is what it being in law, what makes it, what made it bad? Or was it the morality of that it alters your mind or, you know, biblically based that made it bad 
So now the government makes it okay. They legalize it. Well, now everybody has the mindset, well, the government had a ban, so now or it must have been bad. But now they legalize it, so it's not bad anymore. So now it's good. And I think the government trying to play the moral police runs very dangerous and dicey characterizations. I see it in the LGBTQ, uh, bunch of other acronyms, uh, <laughs> sort of community. Because ne- it's, 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 it's never ending. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's starting to come out with um, pedophilia. Pedophilia is bad because obvious reasons. You know what I mean? It's a child. You're raping a child. Um, But now, if you look at the government and it's outlawed, well, now all of a sudden it becomes legal. Now are people going to view it as good and fine? If you base your morality upon the legal standings of politics, then the government, which is run by man, which is fallible, can essentially erode your whole social structure because everybody is basing their hopes and dreams and their aspirations on the government rather than on the foundations of scripture. And that's where, when I say scripture needs to be the foundation, it's in our foundation of our morality and how our lives should live. The government should make sure that we're as free as possible to live the lives that we choose to live and stay away from morality because as soon as they deem something not okay, it can inflict other people to think a certain way or to not think a certain way. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it, it it makes perfect sense, and I you know, it, and I feel like if we as Christians would fight more for freedom, mm-hmm. and then instead of trying to fight all these petty morality battles with non Christians, we should just be out there preaching the gospel. In my yep. opinion. You know, because that's how you're actually going to change lives. It's not going to be through passing a law. Now, there's certain things where I think we need to draw the line in the sand, like abortion. Like, yes. that, like that's a human rights, complete justice issue that I feel like the church definitely needs to tackle. Yep. Your fist ends where my face begins. Mm-hmm. As soon as you start destroying another person's livelihood or another person's life, you no longer have that right. And uh, that's where with the whole uh, substance abuse and with the whole weed thing, I can see the other side because I can also see through the welfare system, how that would put more people on welfare. If they get too addicted to something like that, then they get placed on welfare because now that affects my paycheck. Mm-hmm. Now I'm ticked. Yeah. So, uh, I can see that both ways, but with abortion, that is obvious. You are ending another person's life. You are killing another human being. And, uh, the man, yeah, abortion gets me really fired up that stuff ticks me off because you are essentially speaking you are wiping out an entire generations of people cancer could be cured by now we could have cures for ms all this stuff but we're wiping out people who have possibly had the answers i mean when you go back to world war ii all the technology that was founded from the Jews who escaped Nazi Germany and came to America and started developing stuff. I mean, what if those people never made it? What if they were all wiped out? Where would we be technologically or uh, medicinally? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it to do that to any race or anything is, or infants especially, is absolutely appalling. Not only are you ending their life, but you're hindering them the world as a whole as it could proceed forward yeah so it's it's just crazy and I, but i i feel like 
from at least from my perspective, I think I think that the conservative Christian side has failed in their fight for abortion because because of this idea of no compromise. I agree. And and so because I feel like from from my perspective, obviously, if it was up to me, we'd ban abortions altogether. 100 yep. percent conception done. Right. Uh, but in reality, we're in a country that where it's we're split 50 50. So to me, we have to compromise and make baby steps toward our end goal if we're going to actually get there. Because right now, we're yep. never we're never going to ban abortion right now if all we're going for is the jugular. Right. Exactly right. We need to take those small steps. Every little chance we get to ban little parts of abortion, we need to take. We can't just be like, oh, well, this isn't nearly aggressive enough, so screw it. That's so dumb because those people who would have been protected by the – like the heartbeat act mm-hmm. um those you know if that failed now you're just you're completely destroying all those people who would have been protected by that bill mm-hmm. you know and you know it's you got to take little bits at a time government like we talked it's very tough to change things and that the roe versus wade turning or that uh court decision should have never it was oh, it's such a hoax. It was such a joke, and it should have never had the effect on society as what it does. The Supreme Court should not have that much power at all, and uh, I think that was absolutely disgusting. But it you're essentially pushed all the toothpaste out of the tube, and now you're trying to put it back in. You're not going to get it all in in one swoop. If you work long enough and hard enough, maybe you can inflate that tube again. Right. And I, you know, granted, it's on a way lesser scale, but I feel the same as with healthcare mm-hmm. stuff like that. I would love to get rid of healthcare. Well, yeah, well, you know, like you know, Ob- Ob- Obamacare basically, you know, it's like the, it's like what we like what we're saying. It's like it went from like okay, things are kind of iffy, whatever it is, to just like full on insanity, oh, and then now it's like okay, now how how do we how do we bring it back? Yep, and I I wish you'd get rid of everything. <laughs> that the medical industry should be completely privatized, mm-hmm. all insurance, everything like that. It should not be up to the government to take care of you or to see that you get proper help. That's what the church should have stepped in. That's, we have crap loads of charity. If you view uh, conservatives give way more on charity than what the left does um, per capita, it's it's insane. We We have these foundations because... We know what we earn. We want to keep our money. When we have more of our money that we earn, we are more willing to give it. Where the left, they would rather have it taken away from us. And then when that becomes, because they can't see it directly. And I think it's that indirect of, oh man, tax season drives me nuts. Hey, I got a tax (laughs) refund. No, you overpaid the government. You gave them more money than what they needed to do with. It's, It's absolutely gross is what it is. And we're, you know, to a point forced to fund abortion, forced to fund birth control, do all these things that we don't agree with. Like I said, government has overstepped the bounds into jumping into morality. And if the church were still in charge in that moral perspective, abortion would not be a thing. It just wouldn't. Yep. The church has let down the political sphere. Well, so so what do you, what do you think that we need to do in order to 
fix this situation because I feel like the government's so far gone to a certain degree, all the, all like the visible church is so far gone. What, what are we to do? I think it's, it starts in your hometown. It really starts at the church that you're involved in. Um, seeing what they're active with within the community, what they're doing to help other people get on their feet. Um, and also not only get on their feet, but like we have the state penitentiary here, right? So we got a lot of people coming in here, being able to take those people, hey, I'm gonna help you out for six months. But after six months, it's all you. Like I did my part. If you didn't take advantage of the opportunities that I was able to grace you, so be it. You know, that's now it's up to you. Um, but with medical, you know, some of the people that, you know, have medical issues and stuff like that, and they just can't, I understand that it can be expensive. And uh, I think that's the church's role to come in and help those people. You know, we might not have the nicest building. We may not have the big steeple or the gym, but we are able to take care of our people. And that that is more that is a spark to such a big fire. Because when that happens in a small community, like I live in North Dakota, right? It's a bunch of really small towns. When all these small towns come together, everybody loves visiting North Dakota because they're like, holy cow, people are so friendly here. Everybody's willing to talk to you. I mean, you, you go out to eat, you'll make friends. Yeah, Like it is ridiculous. And everybody wants to know your story. But if the church were to get behind that, start changing that social way that we interact with one another and everybody starts taking care of one another, not being forced to take care of one another, but doing it upon your own accord because you have the money not being taken from you from the government to take care of one another. You end up relying on one another. And I think that's a really good way to spread the gospel because if you see somebody act that way, then you wonder why you start asking questions. And it can lead to people being saved or salvation rather than the government always taking care of you. So now you're always looking up to the government rather than seeking out from where your answers definitely could be. Yeah. And, and I think uh, kind of kind of a weird segue, but but speaking of uh, of sucking uh, money out of the out of taxpayers, uh, let's get into illegal immigration a little bit. And yeah. and what what's your what's your take on that? Because I feel like we've got. A lot of the guys, especially the Gospel Coalition crowd, and they're, and they're over here saying that we need to essentially allow all the immigrants that are trying to come across the border to stay here because that's what Jesus would want because we want to take care of the poor and be sympathetic and we need to show them Christ's love and yada, yada, yada. What's, what's your take? Go. Have fun. <laughs> I think they're full of crap. Um, there is a difference between taking care of the poor there's other ways to do it rather than bring them all in. We need to take care of ourselves first. And uh, we are not built to have the sustainability to take in all the immigrants that are coming across the border illegally at this time. We as a nation have built ourselves up into what we are. And we have the right to accept or reject those uh, uh, people who come across. I mean, I'm married to an immigrant, right? She went through the whole process and... Uh, it was a stipulation before we got married. She wanted to go through the whole entire process. She didn't want to marry into immigration. She wanted to work for it because that's she's crazy. And uh, <laughs> she's got a crazy work ethic. Yeah. And um, all these people that are now flooding the border and not having to do anything, they're obviously too lazy to jump through the right hoops. 
to um, accomplish this life and that and we don't want some people in this country uh, people part of MS-13 part of drug gangs people who are unwilling to contribute to society people who are unwilling to assimilate to our culture and our standards like uh, my grandparents came from Germany and not speaking German yeah my parents didn't speak German they assimilated to the culture they knew that they were German they came over here to make a better life why would you want to bring over the culture that impeded you to be successful, that made you part of the downtrodden civilization? Why would you want to bring that culture into the United States and try to implement that upon us when you obviously came to the United States because you were looking for a better future? So why would you try to implement what was going on in your country over here? Like, What, what is your goal? And that's... Um, like all those people that were coming up across the border and they all had the flags of their own countries and stuff like that. Well, the people can all stay over there because mm -hmm. if you're coming here, you want to be an American. That's what I want to see in you. Like, uh, my wife, she wanted to be American. She grew up, she wanted to become a part of us. She wanted to get out from under her socialistic, um, government run stuff. So she worked her butt off, spent, thousands upon thousands of dollars that she really didn't have uh, to, to be able to be here. She worked she's two, three jobs at a time just so that she could become an American. People who work that hard, those are the people I want filling up this country. People who are willing to be in the dirt, work any job that's available to try to further the society and grow our economy. When you have a bunch of people coming in from Mexico because they think it's all easy, and I blame a lot of it on our welfare programs. I think they're absolute garbage. And I think if they can get over here, they can apply for welfare and then they can just coast through life. Um, I don't think it isn't happening because it is. It's uh, absolutely disgusting. It's just, well, it's destroying, I believe, Los Angeles, a lot of those cities down south. We don't see it a whole lot here, to be completely honest. Yeah, well, you're a little, the, too, little, little, little too far north. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little chilly. Yeah. So yeah. well, well, so like, so like, basically, guys like Russell Moore, guys from the Gospel Coalition, guys from the ERLC, you know that whole crowd, they're gonna they're gonna turn to you and say, "You're being a bigot, you're being a jerk. Why can't you just love these people?" So why can't we go over to their country and help them over there? I don't know. I, I have no That's idea what I have no idea what their answer would be to that. So if if we brought in or if we vetted who comes in here, we build up our economy to be even stronger and greater than what it is now. We build those resources. Again, the church is freaking awesome, right? So the church builds all this stuff up. And uh, like our church sends out, we have a wonderful young lady that is going to Central America that is going to help people in impoverished places, you know, build homes and just bring joy to them. And why can't we do that? Why does everybody have to come here? Why do, you know, if we, if everybody comes here and we crush our society because we can't take care of enough people here, now who can we help? If we're completely and utterly destroyed, it leaves us unable to be able to help anybody else. Where if we build up our economy and have the ability to help other people and send people, we can make these countries, you know, a lot better than what they are. We can make them great and, you know, hopefully into baby Americas. Yeah. But it's, it's really tough to see with some of the dictatorships. And I fully understand like uh, Venezuela would be really tough to see 
without a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. I think they're so used to that. It would take years upon years upon years. And that, and I think uh, we live in a society nowadays that we want instant gratification right now. And I think that's what really killed the Iraq war and Afghanistan kind of stuff over there. We were over there, but you know, after you know six, seven years, people were like, oh, nothing's happening. They're kind of staying the same. It's like, well, we need to pull all out. It's like, okay, I get where you're coming from, but you have to give it time. I mean, we still have troops in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it takes years upon years upon years to build somebody up to a uh, republic sort of sphere where they're able to elect their own people because they're all in that set mindset of what they've had. So I think that's the biggest issue when it comes to allowing all the people here and trying to take care of them because it leads to an economic collapse for us in America. That eventually leads to us not being able to take care of anyone. Where if we vet the people that we come in and we build that economy up to be big and huge or able to spend more money in the world economy, then we can afford to go to other places and we can afford to make their home, where they live, where they're from, where their culture is, where they're proud of being from, and make that more sustainable for them. Yeah, now, 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 I clearly know what your answer would be, but is, in your opinion, is is the wall immoral, as is said by Nancy Pelosi and some of the other pastors that are uh, pre- preaching this kind of garbage? <laughs> no, I don't think the wall is immoral. I think that's stupid. Um, that's so much dumb. But and granted, this is coming from a guy that uh, I don't really necessarily think that there needs to be a full-fledged wall all the way across the whole border. I just think uh, Homeland Security needs a lot and ICE need a much bigger um, budget to work with. They need a lot more upgraded equipment. They need the bigger facilities to be able to handle what's happening. Um, In a sense, that would be more so my wall. I do agree that there does need to be a physical barrier in some areas. And I don't think it's um, immoral because I I like what Trump said, which is rare. It's extremely (laughs) rare. Yeah. But I like what he said when we're not building a wall because we hate the people on the outside. We're building a wall because we love the people on the inside. I'm pretty sure it was teleprompted, but it was very beautiful at the yeah. time. You know, it was, um, it's, it's true. It's because we care about the people inside us. Israel has a wall around it. Um, I believe, I might be wrong. Egypt, I believe, has a wall around it. Um, a lot of these countries have walls around them because they want to protect their own people. And you see it all throughout civilizations, you know, in history and stuff. And, you know, granted, through the medieval ages, I definitely think it was to keep people out, you know, with castles and stuff like that. But right. I think now it's, we understand that we work better as a community. So if we can protect that community from people who are willing to do us harm, we're able to um, make the world a better place because as I've stated before, we're able to go out to places more often rather than having our own systems bogged down with people who don't care if their life is better or not. They just want to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think that one of the things that always gets you know thrown at us when we're saying these kinds of things is like, oh, you're just alt-right or you're just a racist or you're just w- whatever kind of terminology they can they can throw at you. And especially us with as, as light-skinned as we are, <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> I won't lie. That is my favorite thing. That has got to be – oh, man. It's, it's the best. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean so- it, it, was, it, was, it was even insane that um, – 
the 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 gatekeepers have have now been labeled an alt right organization. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 so funny. The conversations I get into about that too. Yeah. Uh, one of the gentlemen who mentioned I was all red at will define that for me. Well, it's fluid. It's <laughs> it's whatever you want it to mean for that time. My feelings are hurt, so therefore you're all right. Yeah. It's like okay, like I'm a huge supporter of Israel, like. Uh, like I support a massive Hispanic group that does a bunch of work around here. Like, do you know what that means? Yeah. And the other, the other, uh, and granted it's not just limited to race and stuff like that, but I mean, that's a huge part of it is Milo Indianapolis, mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, not, not quite there, bud. Yeah. But in the other part, you know, when you ask him to, well, can you define that? Well, I'm not gonna do your work for you. Go look it up on Wikipedia. It's like, yeah, okay. I didn't think you knew what it meant either. Yeah. It's oh man, it's it's beautiful and I love it because uh like I said, I like to kind of be the hated guy in the room a little bit. Uh it's it just makes them look so ignorant and dumb because you're calling that's that's the same as me. Oh, we don't agree. You're racist. You're a bigot, you're a homophobe. It's like no, I just I just disagree with you. Like we have different views on something. It's uh, nothing we were talking about had anything to do with race. So it was a good try though. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's oh man, and when people see that, um, they do notice very much so how how little of a point or how little knowledge that person has because they obviously don't know how to. And it's sad really for those people because. They don't know how to promulgate a conversation. They don't know how to be civil. They don't, they aren't educated enough in the topic. So rather than admit that they're uneducated or ignorant in the subject, we were just all right. There, game over. So, you know, have you stopped beating your wife? Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something quick, easy to throw out there that they don't have to think about. They would rather just throw a label on it and be done with it. Oh, uh, I, I love it. Every time they do it, it's um, it really promulgates my cause. A lot of uh, a lot of our stuff that we do is filtered through uh, the seminary and some other. You know, a lot of people see it, and yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I think sometimes they do a lot more uh, work for the gospel than what I do. <laughs> well, you know, well, I I feel like. When people resort to those kinds of like name callings and labels, all they're trying to do is they're just trying to discredit you so they, that way they don't have to deal with the, they don't have to deal with your argument. Absolutely. And so, so it's it's kind of like, um, and I know Dave Rubin says this and Ben Shapiro and a lot of the guys say this, but they're like, if you call somebody if you call somebody a Nazi, you no longer have to com converse with them because yep. you can't like how are you how are you going to rationally talk to a Nazi? You know, and, and it's it's just this mentality of if they can show you that you're subhuman or you're a disgusting, pitiful person, then you're no longer worthy of being heard. Yep, exactly. It's that dehumanization that I was speaking about. You know, it's just, um, yeah, like you said. Well, if you're a Nazi, I'm not going to converse with you. Well, anybody who disagrees with you all of a sudden becomes a Nazi. Yeah. So okay, you know, like uh, that's what. Yeah, it's destroying our social fabric. It just is. I mean, you're an all right or you're a homophobe or 
any of those things, it's all you're saying when you start slinging slurs like that is, I am too uneducated to come at you with a logical response. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it is becoming more apparent. I have a lot more faith in the younger generation um, than what I do in ours, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think the younger generation is leaning more towards um, actual factual responses, actual uh, logical. They're seeing that they're, they will have more conservative tendencies and liberal, uh, liberalistic tendencies as to I just want to be left alone to have my freedom, which is really encouraging um, and able to sit down and converse with people. Uh, Kyle Cashew is a very prominent and I think he's a really good uh, spokesperson for the younger generation how he's willing to sit down and talk to a bunch of people that don't disagree with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really encouraging. So yeah. props to the guys. Oh yeah, totally. And I, and I, and I think too, I think kind of like what I was saying before too, is, is part of it is that we want answers. And so I th- I feel like people in our generation, the generation underneath us, they're going to the people who have the answers. And I feel like finally there's some people on the good side that actually, that actually have some answers nowadays, which is really right. nice to see. And that's where, as much as I hate it, I'm glad the media shot themselves in the foot. I'm glad that uh, they realized that we can't rely on them specifically for all truth. We need to go back to original documentation. We need to go back to original footage. We need to take that footage, blow it up, besides just the six-second snippet that you're getting, especially with those Covington Catholic Mm -hmm. that happened. I mean, when they first showed that, I was like, that kid is such an idiot. But then when you blew it up and you see the whole thing, it's like, no, you know what? I would have probably been a lot worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's uh, being able to take things. People are forced now, unless they're too lazy, to look at subjects in their entirety. And I think the younger generation being brought up with media that lies to them consistently they're searching for those people who do give them consistent truth and that do cite their references to actual literature, actual um, timed events, footage, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that's really encouraging. Yeah, and you know, I I think that I don't know, I don't know if you saw the news today, but even uh, did you see when Candace Owens was testifying this morning? I did not have time to check into that. So so basically, there was a, a California, I think, representative that played a clip in right right in front of her basically took taking something out of context to try to make her look like a white supremacist right in front of her and it's just and it's just like at a certain point it's like you're the reason why you're gonna be losing the millennials soon on the democratic side you're the reason we see through it she is one of the biggest proponents for african-american people Mm -hmm. as well as a, a feminist movement Oh wow, that's impressive. Yeah, that, that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. She but, she, she, I mean, she called she called him on it at least. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I would expect nothing less. She's a little outspoken. Yeah, yeah. To the least. Yeah. So, well, you know, like the other thing that I wanted to bring up as well was, um, again, because we're talking about like conversing and going back to the facts and that sort of thing is is your position on like free grace and mm-hmm. getting into some of that theological you know, side of things as well. Cause I know, I know you've written some on that as well. Um, you and I would probably tend to disagree on, on some of, on some of those issues. Um, but for those who don't necessarily know what free grace is, how would you define that? Free grace is having the faith 
that Christ alone through grace alone is what saves you. Um, it means that you can't lose your salvation. Once in that moment that you put your faith in Christ, at the moment of that conversion, if you were, you know, being genuine about your that moment at that time, you became a believer. So if that were to happen, and then down the road, years from now or whatever, you fell away and were into crazy things, started stealing and all that stuff, and or you know, pornography or uh, harlots or you know all that sort of stuff. By the time you died, even though that was your life at the end you would still be eternally saved because of the moment you placed your faith in Christ and he gave you that gift of grace. Um, nothing can be taken away from it. So it's not the Arminian sort of view where you can eventually lose it over time. And also that um, the more of the Lordship that you must, I shouldn't say must because that the, your works are evidence that you were truly genuine about what you were saying. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, free grace is kind of there. Um, I posted an article that did a really good job um, of describing kind of what free grace was. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, if that person were to fall into all that sin all over again, then he wasn't genuine upon the conversion. Who are you to judge where that person's heart was at that time? That is only for God to judge. Um, I know it came up with uh, that singer who just got annihilated by the church. Oh, is, for, it, is it Daigle or Dangle? Daigle? Yeah. Yeah. Daigle. Yeah. Uh, um, for saying that she, what she didn't know, or even though she probably knew about that, well, she surely can't be saved. It's like, she probably got caught in the moment, you know? Yeah. It was absolutely stupid what she said, but does that make her an unbeliever? No, I don't know where the condition of her heart was at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start basing it off of the fruits of their works or what you see, how you see another person react, I think that leads us to want to judge another person's salvation. Well, that person can't be a believer because they're doing X. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they're at a really tough time in their life. Um, a big proponent for this, I would believe, would be King Solomon. I mean, fantastic prayer. The uh, temple he built for God was just immaculate. He brought people from all over different nations to build this place. And if you ever read through his prayer, that was a man who loved God. But by the end of his life, you know, that gal he met, now he had a bunch of prostitutes, all that stuff. His life just went downhill, and God killed him. So now are you saying that he was never genuine about his faith? He sure seemed pretty genuine about it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what free grace is. And that's, it's, um, it has answered all the questions that I have had in regards to this topic, because I was very much so in the thought that, um, uh, once you were saved, you could walk away from your salvation and you could stumble and fall out of salvation. I was very much, that's exactly what I believed up until two years ago. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so if, if, so if you, if you look, if you look at that, right. And you, you see, would you say that there are no false converts or would you say that there can be false converts or how, how, how would you work that out? Cause I, cause I feel like from, from the Lordship side, that would be the main criticism is everybody on the Lordship side will say, well, look at all the people that have fallen away. Like, you know, maybe they just weren't saved at all. So if I false convert, I could see that definitely being, if that person was not genuine during that time that they accepted Christ as their savior and they just did it ungenuinely because everybody else was doing it. 
yeah, I would call that as a false convert because they weren't, it wasn't a heartfelt, it wasn't genuine receiving of Christ into your heart. Um, it wasn't between you and God. It was between you and that pastor or it was something like that. So, yeah, you're looking at that like, yeah, I saw him, uh, you know, accept Christ into his heart at uh, so-and-so's big convention, you know, and then the very next day, you know, they're back to doing their same thing or anything like that. But, again, maybe it was genuine. I'm not that person. I was not in that place. We as Christians are not in that place to be able to judge a person and their heart. That is what the, oh man, that is what the judgment seat is for at the mm. end of time. Yeah. So, okay. So, the, so then the, I think the next question would be, you know, there, there's all the passages that talk about there being fruit of your salvation mm-hmm. and fruit of your justification and that being the sanctification process. Do you, do you believe that, that there is going to be a sanctification process for everybody that everybody will, that there will be fruit of salvation or that there may be fruit of salvation? I think there may be fruit of salvation. I don't think it's an actual guarantee of somebody who is saved. Um, there are a bunch of lazy Christians who I believe do believe in God, but they don't produce any fruit. They're too lazy. They get downtrodden in the world. Um, the fruit is essentially what I would be building up for, for my kingdom in heaven. It is um, when he talks about the overcomers, um, all Christian or all overcomers are Christians, but not all Christians are overcomers. Um, someone will go forward and live out the faithful life of Christ and be able to push forward and um, promulgate for their future in heaven and have you know their their inheritance within the kingdom. Others will not. Um, and that that's kind of where I that that is where I come down on that. Um, when we come back to where the seed was and all that kind of stuff, we see that the seed represents the word of God or grace of God. And even though some of those plants never produced fruit, the seed was never removed from that soil. The seed, that grace remained within that person. They accepted that grace and it remained within that, that, uh, being or that person. Mm-hmm. So, 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 yeah. So, so, well, I, I think that, um, what, what ends up happening is there, at least, at least from again from like my camp to a certain degree, there there ends up being a lot of misunderstanding between justification and sanctification, and I feel like a lot of people in the lordship side they kind of wrap it all in together as one, and then mm-hmm. it's like they're they're interchangeable to a certain degree, and I feel like for for me that I mean that's even a problem looking at my own camp, <laughs> right? So that is um that's what took me definitely the longest time to wrap my head around and a lot of reading. Um, he's sadly passed away now, but uh, Zane Hodges wrote an incredible book called The Primitive Free Grace that answered a lot of this for me. And it was just, it was really beautiful for this. So um, when he talks about the woman at the well, the woman comes to the well and he says, you, you, you will thirst no more once you take from me, right? Okay. Well then, you know, she's so overjoyed about this. Okay. So she, that's receiving grace. You'll never thirst again. He didn't say, you know, every other day or so, you should probably come back and drink. Yeah. You know, no, she was full. Okay. She wasn't over, you know, she wasn't overflowing. She was full. She was content. It was done. Okay. Then he turns to his disciples who were hungry and he starts talking about the bread. Well, that bread goes, now that's the hard stuff. 
that's stuff that's that's your substance that's who you're going to make yourself out to be as a christian so there are two separate paths you can become saved but now it's building your life as a christian your works no longer have uh your works went from having no meaning and going nowhere to now having a purpose and a foundation in christ through your you know that foundation in your heart and now being able to build up toward god's glory and to present him glory that's what we were meant to do here in this time period that we're living in right now which i believe is the church age we're here to bring glory to god i mean if uh the only book that is written to non-believers is john why would god continue to tell throughout his entire book false why would he spend all the other gospels and all the other books of the bible explaining to non-christians that they're non-christians rather would it, you know we see that he's talking to he calls them his brothers. James does this many times. My brethren. He's talking to fellow Christians. This is how you should live. This is how you bring glory to God here on earth. This is how you build up for your kingdom in heaven. Or, you know, the millennial kingdom that will be here on earth. And that's um, that's where that comes through. through. There are two separate different things. And it's, it is very hard to separate them. But I think we as humans, um, we make it difficult. We don't want to take things we don't want to have things handed to us. We, when we get, I mean, God's sacrifice for Christ's sacrifice on the cross was so huge and so impactful upon all of us and so self-loving and um, just, I mean, he gave everything, right? Well, it's so hard for us to take that gift and feel like we don't have to do anything but believe in it. And it's um, when all of a sudden we feel like we have to prove that we're a Christian. We have to do works to, as evidence, you know, to show that we had faith in Christ. I think that demoralizes or it belittles what Christ did on the cross, the power of what he did on the cross. And all we have to do is have faith in that alone. And that alone saves us. The, the works and stuff, yeah, we should do them. But that's not, that's not part of the whole being saved. So that's it is tough to grasp. Yeah. But it is that primer for free grace theology by Zane Hodges is a very the book is huge. Warning. Holy <laughs> sculpture. Yeah. But it is is very beautifully written. He has a beautiful way with words and um everything makes very good sense. And like I said, I came from the complete opposite side of all of this. It's not like I didn't study the other side, it's not like I wasn't brought up in the other side. Um of the more lordship salvation aspect of things. Um, I have sought both Arminianism view and I have also studied the Calvinistic mm -hmm. sort of view as, um, and the, the tulip and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was truly in search of answers when things started not making sense to me. And uh, free grace is very rare for anybody to come uh not very many people are. It's a very yeah. small niche group, mm -hmm. and uh, but it definitely has all the answers I've been seeking. I I I haven't uh, I haven't been fumbled once, and it's incredible because scripture makes makes complete sense in the way that you read it and everything like that with um, the works and taking everything back to the Greek to the Septuagint. And stuff like that, being able to, to pull those words exactly out of there. A lot of the times the word salvation has nothing to do with eternal salvation. 
And the word death doesn't always mean eternal damnation. A lot of that is physical. It's um, saving someone, you know, saving yourself from an illness or, you know, like we're not supposed to do all these sins, right? And it leads to salvation or whatever. Well, that salvation could be from a horrible lifestyle that you're living here physically on earth. If Solomon would have changed his life around, he would have had salvation from being having God send somebody to kill him, right? Mm, because right. he would have been promulgating God's agenda. And uh, I, I think um, a lot of the, some of the translations and how they were put together were put together through this um, through this lens, through this perspective that a lot of these um, Greek words were made to mean things that they don't necessarily mean. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, a very interesting thing is uh, John Calvin was actually um, much more free grace than a lot of people think he was. Um, his Calvinistic, the tulip, actually didn't come to pass so much after he passed away. Yeah. So it's um, he was very much toward the free grace spectrum of things than what he was toward actual Calvinism. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. it, once you start digging into people like that and Augustine, um, that dude was a messed up dude. I mean, <laughs> he, he was kind of, he, he, I mean, brilliant man. I mean, I don't mean to undermine him in a lot of things, but I mean, he was, he got involved with a lot of pagan um, religions and stuff like that, which led to him promulgating um, infant baptism and stuff like that. And I mean, he's one of our founders too. So the corruption didn't happen all of a sudden. It's just that it was um, promulgated or, just kind of started to be fractured away at from way back then. So, I mean, the church has always been under attack. Um, free grace has always been in the background since history, and it's through every kind of revitalization you see throughout the church, it always seems to surface again. Mm -hmm. And that's what I found to be very uh, convincing as well, is how, even though it was never, ex well, it says in the early church, it was never extremely popular except for certain spurts in time. In fact, before John MacArthur, it had a big revitalization as well. And then, um, in fact, John MacArthur was pro was in his way younger days, was actually kind of a promulgator of three grace theology. And then, yeah, I would say he went downhill from there. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting to see how it starts to do so well. And then I think uh, Satan uses or takes it and he doesn't want the topic of grace to be so easy he doesn't want us to feel like it's so easy to gain salvation in christ and uh to be saved i mean he wants to make it feel as difficult as possible and uh think about it if um, you're so focused on your own salvation as to whether you're saved or not what good can you do to bring glory to god god didn't want us focusing on our own salvation he wanted us focusing on living and bringing glory to him through our lives as Christians. If you're sitting there worried about whether you're saved or not the entire time, how much of that can you really do if you're second guessing yourself? Yeah, it's it's true, you know, and, and it's it's weird because like for me, I'm coming at it from being a five-point Calvinist and a lordship yeah. guy. Um, but at the same time, I've also seen the extremities that I'm totally against with within my own camp. 
And I find myself slowly coming away from the extreme Calvinism in the extreme lordship side of things. Like, for example, like John Piper is teaching things like final justification and final salvation. So you're justified when you place your faith and then you're sanctified, but you don't ever really know if you're saved until you die. Yeah. See, and, and you're like, that's just that that's just not anywhere in scripture. How scary is that? Like, to, could you imagine going through your whole life and then at your deathbed, you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I did enough. Mm-hmm. And that's that's cruel. Yeah. I think that's a very cruel way to look at God. I mean, he made it he made it simple. It's spread out. I mean, John 3.16 is the biggest promulgator of the free things. I mean, you believe and you're saved. That's it. Okay. Now that you're saved, it's time to... You can either be lazy and sit down, but then you're not going to get anything out of it, you know, in eternity when it comes. Or it's time to, you know, put your nose to the grind and start working and promulgating and bring glory to God to, you know, further your glory and your kingdom in heaven. And uh, it's, um, I find that that is really discouraging because I know a lot of people even say, Sometimes you have to be, what is it? You have to accept, or you have to be born again before you can truly accept that you're a Christian. But we call it born again because you're born into that brand new family. Mm. So now you're bound, you're born into that family, right? You're part of the family. You're, right. I, I, I'm a Schumann, right? Yeah. I can't not be a Schumann. I was born into it. Just as I was born again into being a Christian, I'm born again. And some people, that's what it is. Some people think that you can make that choice, but you aren't truly born again until later. Mm-hmm. So what did that choice ever do for you? Right. If the subject matter of you being born again didn't come until years and years and years later. Yeah. That's, well, it, it, it kind of comes full circle to a certain degree because when I, when I had Andy Woods on and he's like, this is why to a certain degree we're, when it comes to abortion, we're life at conception. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a, it's the same thing. As soon as you place your faith, you're you're born again. You're saved. It doesn't matter what happens after that point. It's yep. you know the sanctification process is is the sanctification process. You know, like I would take it from the perspective that I I believe that everybody will be going through the sanctification process because that's the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit working in you. I just disagree with a lot of people on my side that say that there's going to be and there's, that there's always going to be an immediate drastic change in somebody's yeah. life. Whereas I'm like, it could be gradual. It could be that maybe it's going to be on the back end. Maybe it's going to be very gradual for the first 20 years. And then the last 10, they grow, you know, like that's, we have no idea. That's a lot of pressure too. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Okay. Now you're a Christian. Boom. Here's our rule book. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's something you have to grow into slowly. And like you said, like some people are just too lazy and they just won't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, burn in hell for it. It's because they accept Christ is the only way into heaven. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, uh, now you're, you're furthering yourself. You're, you're doing this to bring glory to God. It's part of who you are now. Are you going to be an overcomer or are you just going to skate by? Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of that is, um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, but I, I get it because, you know, a lot of big 
church leaders and stuff push the lordship salvation i mean john macarthur is a big proponent of it especially in his book you know the uh the gospel according to christ and um gospel according to the apostles um it's definitely lordship salvation and tying that you know back i mean i just don't see why god would want people um constantly in doubt of their salvation yeah. i think that's why he made it so easy he's like hey have faith in me trust me that you're gonna make it to heaven mm-hmm. that's it okay once you have that down now it's time to bring glory to me save as many people as you can that is your goal go out into the world go out and preach bring people to experience the same grace the same joy that you at that moment you know were inspired to have and uh that seems like so much more of a loving God than a God who would be like, well, you might not be saved. You might be saved. Uh, I guess we'll see when the lights are out. Right. Yeah. That's such a demoralizing way to look at God. And it's not, I don't believe that's in his nature at yeah. all. It's just not the God of the Bible. Yeah. And, and, and especially the, pre, you know, what, what John Piper is preaching to me is a complete false gospel when he's saying those yeah. things. to me, that's like, that's on par with like Catholicism. You yeah, know? it is. They are, and they um, they actually are very very close together. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Reformation kind of happened, they broke away from the Roman Church, but the Roman Church had all these traditions and all these um, sort of rules that they had to follow. Well, now all of a sudden, none of that matters. That's that's tough. Now I got to break all the tradition. All the things that I did had no meaning. All of the, the you know all the catechism and weird stuff that whatever they do you know over there that they had to do and nothing well we can't do that i mean we have to do something we have to do something to prove that we're worthy of god's grace so then start you know looking at james and we start portraying those works as things that are necessary to be saved mm-hmm. not as things that we should be doing to promulgate the glory of god it's things that we have to do that if you don't do these things, you have no evidence of proof in your life. Therefore, you can't, surely you can't be a Christian. And I, um, the, the biggest, I like to use the example of homosexuality. It's no different than any other sin, right? It's lying, cheating, stealing, all that stuff. We all sin, right? Homosexuality is just put under that magnifying glass and it's blown up mainly, mainly because of culture, mm-hmm. I would say today. And because I think the LGBTQ community is such a big bully today. But we see that, well, surely somebody can't be a homosexual and a Christian. Well, no, it's a Christian who's struggling, who's living in sin. It's somebody who needs to be talked to, who needs to be shown, hey, man, you're messing up. This is not right. This is not how God intended you to lead your life. Not only that, but you're causing other Christians to stumble in their faith and to stumble in how they're supposed to bring glory to God. And I know a lot of guys, or, well, I don't know a lot, but I know many of them wish they didn't have those feelings. They, just because you have compulsory feelings, like every boy in high school wants to mate with as many women as possible, right? Did you save yourself from marriage or did you give in to those instincts? The same thing is with the homosexuality aspect of things. They have those, uh, that, um, that feeling, that urge to act in that sort of sin and yeah, some act on it, but others don't. And they struggle with that. It's a sin that they struggle with. 
and that that should be viewed any different than any other sin that we struggle with on a daily basis is really disheartening and i really think that turns off a whole crowd that we could be reaching um granted like i said it is wrong it is a sin just like many sins are but the fact that the evangelical church is treating it as surely you're condemned or surely you're not saved surely it's a destruction of all your other fruits that's i think that's really um i think that's disgusting to be yeah. quite frank yeah no I, I i i totally get that and i think that um what's interesting to me is and especially because i feel like you know there's the john MacArthur lordship salvation and then there's the john piper lordship salvation right. which, which yeah, it's like it's the next step up and what's interesting yeah. is when i was studying through a lot of john piper's teaching on like final salvation and you know essentially earning your salvation I, I specifically looked, and I could not find one instance where he quoted Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, yeah. which is, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. And I could not find that passage anywhere in any of his teaching on final salvation and justification and that sort of thing. And I'm like, to me, that's like that's like the root. It's like you're justified. The moment you you become a Christian, you are now justified. Right. Everything that happens after the fact is after the fact. Yeah. And it's the thing that, that hurts me the most is when other people are like, well, surely that person can't be saved. It's like, dude, come on. Like mm -hmm. we were not put into that place for a specific reason. Yeah. Like that is a God thing. Like God is the only one who can judge a person's genuineness of their heart. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine being somebody who's new to the faith and trying to gain your ground. And let's say somebody sees you out at the bar, you know, having a couple beers. You, oh, shoot, have too many beers, okay? And sees you drunk. And then all of a sudden, that per he overhears, surely that person is not a Christian because they're acting like this. Mm -hmm. Imagine the blow that that's got to have to that person. That's, should that person be confronted and talk to it about it? Yeah, sure. So confront and talk to him about it in love. But it's not its not an issue of salvation. He's not going to hell for it. If this is a Christian, he's, he slips up. We all slip up. And to take that upon ourselves to be like, yep, that guy's going to hell because he messed up. I never mess up. And that's what the holier-than-thou mentality of so many people is utterly disgusting. And I mean— you got to think a lot of yourself to start throwing those accusations around. It's it's impressive how much hubris you must have to impose whether another person is saved or not. Yeah, that it, is, it it reminds it, me it reminds me of the Pharisees. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And I and that's what I see more and more. And I think it's I think the biggest detriment to Christians in society are Christians themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, judgment mentality that we all have on one another is pushing away so many people. Well, I don't want to be a Christian because if I think I'm being judged now, just wait till I call myself a Christian. Mm -hmm. Then everybody's going to come after me. Yeah. And that's, uh, and yeah, what happened with Lauren Daigle is an exemplary example. I mean, holy cow, the church picked up their torches and pitchforks and they just crucified that young woman. Yep. So what'd she do? She dropped her Christian title. You know, 
which is right. a, which is a smart bit it's a smart business move yeah well exactly well that and i think the whole christian music industry is kind of a it's kind of stupid but i i don't it's think true. it should be shouldn't be labeling things as christian music and mm-hmm. that's where it is if somebody wants to glorify god in their music have it be labeled as rock have it be labeled as you know pop or whatever it is just let people do their thing yeah to have a whole christian section i think is to, to it me sets people up on a pedestal that they should not be on yeah well to me it should it should be we have we have a worship genre for church yeah. music and then we have just regular music and because i yeah. it, because I what, it, what ends up happening is you have you have these christian bands and it's like they could be they could be decent bands if they were secular they'd be decent yeah. but they wouldn't be selling out arenas but as soon as you throw that Christian label on, then you've got Skillet that can sell out an arena when there's no way they'd be playing an arena if they were secular. Well, and see, that's well, maybe I disagree. But, uh, <laughs> but so uh, Skillet just came to uh, where I live and they sold out the arena, but yep. they were touring with uh, Breaking Benjamin uh-huh. and uh, Under Oath. Okay, and yeah. Like that. I mean, yeah, Skillet. Yeah, he. Gave his, you know, John Cooper is such an inspirational guy. What a, if you read his story when he was in high school, mm-hmm. he, he made it a, um, he made it a constant endeavor that each day he would uh, go out and try to talk to somebody new about the gospel. Yeah. Just an incredible man. And uh, um, seeing him up on stage, I mean, yeah, Breaking Benjamin's not a Christian band. Mm-hmm. But he was up there, you know, right before them saying that the only reason why he's up there is because of, you know, God put him in that position and he'd be a fool not to say something and give the credit to Christ while he's up on that stage. Yeah. And, uh, I saw them tour with another secular band a few years ago, but it's, uh, that's why I think that a lot of those bands could get away mm-hmm. with proclaiming the gospel and keeping Christ in there because yeah, I mean, Skillet has some really good stuff, Yeah. but, and that, and that's, and that's not that... our, our rock station right next to like ACDC Thunderstruck. Yeah. Alica skillet yeah. and it's you know it's 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 weird but it's something that little moment uh, you know on that radio station that's a small little tinge it's mm-hmm. a small little chip away on somebody's heart yeah or something like that you know it's it i think it would uh i think us christians labeling so much of that stuff not only that it it's a hindrance to spreading stuff more effectively and i also think that with with, with having floor and we throw them up on this huge pedestal Okay, bud, you can't mess up because if you mess up, you're going to hell. Right. You know, like you know, it's uh, it's well, you it's shouldn't crazy. have said that. Yeah, she shouldn't have said it. It was stupid. It was dumb. I mean, yeah, dumbest response ever. <laughs> but you got she's 26, I think, something like that. Yeah. But I mean, she's new to this whole stage. She's getting interviews. I'm sure, like, nervous. All of a sudden, this gets thrown out. Uh if I do this, then I'm crucified by Hollywood and I lose my complete things, which is in my perspective, what she should have done. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not here on this earth, right? Right. Or, you know, I just take this out and I play ignorance. You know what I mean? It's like, pretty pretty sure you know that's wrong, but yeah. okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, but to go after her and crucify her and say that, oh, she's not a true Christian, that's disgusting because, you know, we all like to think what we would do in that situation. But then actually being in that situation is a completely different thing. Oh, you yeah. Your entire livelihood stripped from you in the blink of an eye. Would you really be so bold? I think it's easy to say so. Yep. Yeah, it really is. And so, you know, and it, 
me bringing up skillet wasn't me knock, knocking skillet. I, I like skillet myself. Uh, but but the th- <laughs> but, but <laughs> just to clarify for any skillet fans, but <laughs> but 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 you know for for me it's just it's it's one of those things where it's it, it becomes an industry and it's it, you know and it, it creates a lot of subpar product in 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 that a lot of people will flock to see in general yep. just because you slap on the name Christian same the same thing with Christian movies Christian movies are horrible horrific yes. like thank you I I, re- I refuse to watch any of them unless, unless I know somebody that that's in it <laughs> like I know. Beca- because it's just it's it, the quality is just so low but you put Christian on it people will buy it they'll play it in their churches they'll yep. go see it in the theater and that that that's my biggest pet peeve so growing up uh I, I, I like Skillet. I yeah. like a lot of hunger stuff. Um, so Under Oath was big. Um, Devil Wears Prada. Some of those types of bands. They claimed to be Christian because they knew as soon as they slapped Christian on a hard rock, well, now all these parents can take their kids to all these festivals and it's a Christian band. So now they sell out and they get huge because they have that label. Well, then once they get big enough, they take that label off and now they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, under Oath is one of the bands that I think that they have done that. Um, once they got big enough to be mainstream, dropped the Christian label, now they can make it on their own. Um, the Christian label is nothing but a stepping stone for hard rock bands, or I guess bands in general, to get into the industry. And I think that's, I think that's sad, and it, it brings a mockery to us. Like you said, I'd be totally fine with worship music, because that is in itself its own genre. Mm-hmm. There's no pop songs that are like worship music, right? <laughs> like, that's weird. I couldn't imagine about songs about like shopping that were said in like a sh- worship fashion. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just it's this to- own totally different thing. But mm-hmm. like the hardcore rock, the country, the everything like that. I think the the Christian label has um, kind of made a mockery of itself in its own name. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so kind of as we're wrapping up, and I kind of want to take a little bit of a fun turn um, because you are into politics. So who, as we're closing, who are you rooting for in the Democratic primary selection? Oh, man, who I'm rooting for and who's realistic. <laughs> Two totally different things. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren all the way. Yeah. Um, I love that woman. <laughs> uh, she is just the best. It's just so great. The whole Native American heritage thing. Mm-hmm. It all went down. And then uh, I saw Trump post out the whole uh, Elizabeth Warren, you know, to 2022nd or <laughs> yeah. presidential candidate. Oh, man, it was just glorious. The slap fight would just be beautiful. And, and then and then throwing that Instagram live that happened was, oh, was man. entertainment. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you're here. It's like. He's your husband. Yeah. <laughs> he, I would assume he would be there. Oh, uh, man, she's just the best. Um, and her lack of uh, chariz- charisma, mm-hmm. just beautiful. She's just monotone the entire way. Yeah. Um, Beto is also really entertaining. I mean, went out and ate dirt after he lost to Ted Cruz and then brought dirt <laughs> home to his family to share with them. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Uh, it's pretty bad when politics is better than your you know comedy central that's true but, yeah. uh, <laughs> no who i think uh, would be a serious front runner would if it wasn't about to die it would be uh 
Bernie Sanders. I think he speaks to our generation and a lot of people very much so. He's a very, he's a very friendly sort of person, personality, stuff like that. I don't think he has enough of the intersectionality to move forward. He has spoken out against how intersectionality doesn't um, mesh with how things should be run. He believes that uh, he has spoken how somebody's experience does overrule their ethnicity or their something like that, which is how I think it does. I don't care who you are, man, woman, white, black, Indian. Whoever's more qualified to do the job should have that job. Um, so he does run on that. His socialistic programs are insane. I mean, yeah, it, it would not be great if he got in. Um, granted, I see Trump beating all these people out. Um, the other person I would view as a threat, if she picked up steam, would be Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. She crosses the board with all the intersectionality stuff. Um, she, I think she's a really good speaker. Um, she gets, she knows how to energize a crowd. Um, her policies are garbage, of course, because I have my own thoughts. Yeah. Um, honestly, those are the two frontrunners I would believe would be probably Bernie Sanders and uh, Kamala Harris. I think those would be the two that are going to make it down to the end. Um, a person that I wouldn't mind seeing in the Democratic ticket would be Andrew Yang. Um, seeing some of his policies and stuff like that, um, it's a different take. It's um, I don't agree with them. I'll state that for the record. Right. But it's a different take on how the welfare system should be run. Um, it's a different take on how uh, technology, uh, how we're moving forward in the economic sphere and the workforce. He seems to genuinely care about um, the blue collar worker, which I find really genuine. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's just a genuine guy. And I think he actually cares. And that's, that's the thing that uh, I really admire about him. If I got to see him run up against Trump, I think he's the only person that, if he had the publicity, I don't think he'll have near the publicity to ever get that far. Right. But if he did, I think, if enough people paid attention, I think he would be a serious threat to Trump just because of his, he's so moderate. Um, he can get people from both sides. He's not so polaristic as what the Democrats that are running as well as Trump. I mean, Trump is polarizing toward his base. And he is. And uh, I give him a lot of crap. I love a lot of the policies that Trump has passed. I absolutely love it. Um, and what his organization has done. Um uh, if only he kept his mouth shut. <laughs> Be the only thing. But other than that, that's that's pretty much my take on it. Um, I think it's important. It would be it's too much to ask, but it would be sweet to see Republicans and Democrats actually sitting down and having productive conversations between each other on the advancement of policy. Um, the welfare state is completely out of control, um, as well as um, some of the trade policies. I think could even be worked on. Mm-hmm. as well so yeah i mean for, yeah i mean from my end I, i'm i'm personally rooting for bernie sanders out of out of that group because because i feel like and honestly i feel like he's the only one that actually believes what he says yeah and and so so then i think if we could actually finally have a general election debate where it's it's two polar opposite competing perspectives that are actually going to be debated be- yep. because everybody else 
they're just going left because AOC is going left. Like right. that, they're just going more progressive because Bernie Sanders is more progressive. Whereas if you threw Bernie and Trump in, then you have actually each of their positions. It's going to duke it out, and then we'll see who, which, which, which opinion is more accepted in our country. It would literally be a fight between socialistic um, policies versus capitalistic mm-hmm. um, ideologies. It yep. would be extremely entertaining. Yeah. To see. Um, and I and I do have to say, my, and the fight with the walkers would be just phenomenal. <laughs> but I do have to say, my wife does a mean Bernie Sanders impression. It's it's quite impressive. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, well, hey, I, I'm glad we could sit down. We did we did we did a solid two hours. Well, yeah, not, not too bad, not too shabby. So, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to do again do this again. I'm I'm glad you're a part of the of the GK team and. You know, looking forward yeah, man, to more of your article. Good to, it's good to be here. Yeah. Haters are going to hate, so it's okay. I'll just hey, I, I've learned that. Ask their glory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big deal. No, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. So, well, definitely. Well, thanks so much, and we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Take care, Jeff. You too. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org.